This is Jeremy Bassetti, and you're listening to Travel Writing World, a podcast featuring interviews with travel writers about their work and about the business and craft of travel writing. You can find the episode show notes, free travel writing resources, and much more at travelwritingworld.com. In 2018, David Reynolds rented a Chevy Cruze and hit Route 50, driving as slowly as he could across the United States from Ocean City, Maryland to San Francisco, California, snaking through the Blue Ridge Mountains, passing through the American heartland, and bounding over the Continental Divide, literally from sea to shining sea. David came on the podcast to talk about his experiences, which he documented in his new book, Slow Road to San Francisco. We recorded this conversation in November 2020. David, welcome to the podcast. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me on. I'm looking forward to talking to you. So you've recently published a new travelogue. It's called Slow Road to San Francisco, Across America from Ocean to Ocean. Uh, but before we talk about it, I wanted to ask you about your grandfather, uh, who was, if I'm not mistaken, exiled to a place called Swan River. And you have a um, a book about this, and I think it's it's an interesting story, but it's also really relevant to the conversation in that it sparks the later travel books through America. Yes, that's right. I, I went to this place, Swan River, uh, which is... It's in Manitoba, about 350 miles north of the U.S. border, uh, because my grandfather had disappeared to there long before I was born, actually, and nobody ever spoke about him. And I got interested and found out what I could and then went there. Um, This is uh, probably 20 years ago now, actually. Um, And and I, I wrote a book about it, but I also got to know the place and went there more than once, well, four or five times. And uh, one time, I, one of my friends there, an old man, um, just as a sort of in passing, to, pointed to a road that we were driving past and said, that goes to Mexico. And I thought I'd misheard him, but it, um, it turned out that's what he did say. And many people from Swan River, in fact, went down that road every winter to to get warm down in Arizona or Texas or wherever, or even in Mexico. <clears throat> and uh, I started thinking about that. That's incredible, this road. And, and he told me it was a two-lane road, uh, old road that was built in the 1920s as part of a network of roads. Um, and I thought about, well, I wonder if I could drive down there. I'd, I'd never been in that part of the United States before. I'd really only ever been to the East Coast. Um I used to work in publishing, and I went to New York a lot, and occasionally to Boston or Miami, and that was about it. Um, but it seemed like an adventure, and I sort of researched it, and then I put it to the to the man who'd published the book Swan River in Canada, which is a separate from the British publisher. And he was very enthusiastic. He said, yeah, go down there, write a book. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> And I couldn't kind of quite resist that. And he he gave me an advance. You know, it was a piece of luck, really. Um, so I did that, um, as you say, as a result indirectly of, of my grandfather who disappeared into that 
that hinterland of, of Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that led to the book that's just been published uh, because the slow road to, that was called Slow Road to Brownsville, which is the most southerly, you probably know this, it's the most southerly place in Texas on the Gulf of Mexico. And the, the route from Swan River goes due south all the way to Laredo through, I think, it's six, seven states. And then it follows the Rio Grande uh, east, southeast to Brownsville. So so the, the road goes from Swan River to Brownsville, Texas. Uh, so that was north-south. And then I enjoyed doing that, and people liked the book. And actually another publisher, an English publisher, came to me and said, would you like to write another travel book? And I, and I said, well, maybe. I think it would have to be in America because – uh, I have thought about doing books in, in Europe, but the language is, is a difficulty. And, and a lot of what I write is to do with people I meet and what they say mm-hmm. and the conversations we have. So I told them it would have to be in America, and then somebody said the obvious thing. Not I didn't, actually. Well, what have we done north-south? Why don't you do east-west? And <laughs> that's, that's how this came about. Uh, and there was a choice of two roads, actually. It's funny, I, I researched it. There's more than two old roads that go across, but there were two I'd like to look of. This one, which goes from Ocean City, Maryland, to San Francisco, and then there's another that goes from Cape Cod to somewhere in Oregon that's not particularly famous. And we discussed it. I discussed it with the publishers, and I think it's just a little bit serendipitous, this, but but I think it's worked well. They said, well, San Francisco, people have heard of that. Um, could you do that one? So I said, well, yeah, sure. Okay. And that's how it happened. So that was actually commissioned um, hmm. before I did it, whereas there were a little bit of, with the Canadian publisher and the Slow Road to Brownsville, he, he said, well, look, try it, see how it goes. And and I did, and he liked it. Um, so so just, it just so happens the, the road that you took from north to south intersects with a town that you visit heading east to west. Um, so there was that that nice point in the middle of this new book where you revisit a town that you had earlier or previously visited. But from going east to west on Highway 50, you know, as you mentioned, there are numerous ways to go from east to west. Um, what, was San Francisco the the only reason why you chose that route? I mean, the, the terminus San Francisco, was there anything about that route that appealed to you, say, over the other routes, like Route 6 or Route 20? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It wasn't just San Francisco, actually, at all, um, because the whole thing took 46 days. I mean, I deliberately did it very slowly. Um, and San Francisco is only two, two and a half days at the end. Um, I, no, I could see it went through Washington, D.C., which was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, then a whole lot of countryside for about, well, the next big place is Cincinnati, I think. So you go through Virginia, West Virginia, uh, Ohio, and then Cincinnati is on the western end of Ohio, I think. Yes. Uh, then the next big place is St. Louis, which is another place I'm rather keen to go to and the Mississippi, um, and yeah, on and, you know, across the Rockies. Well, obviously you have to cross the Rockies whichever way you go, really. Um, 
that's your long way south, I guess. Uh, it no, it, the whole thing appealed to me, and the way that it tracked through history. I guess again, that would apply to other roads. The the, the way I see it, American history begins in the east and gradually moves west. Um, What's well, one way of looking at it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so no, the whole thing appealed to me. Um, yeah, equally. I mean, there was the great mix of big cities and tiny towns and some spectacular countryside, some less spectacular, you know, quite flat in Missouri and mm, Kansas. Kansas. Yeah. Um, although, you know, that in itself is interesting, the long straight roads. Well, Nevada um, actually is talking about long straight roads with nothing going on to speak of. <laughs> but I, I, that's quite appealing because it's it's like being in some of those movies, you know. That's 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 one kind of thing that makes all this appealing. To, I think to to English people or to Europeans that there's so much space in mm-hmm. your country. Yeah, and we've seen all these movies of people driving huge distances, <laughs> and we've read books and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, so what? Cataract, you know, onwards really. We often hear about you know, the American sense of space being different uh, than the European sense of space. Uh, and, you know, having been to Europe, I, I can kind of understand what that what that means. But just for an illustrative purpose, you know, you, I, I'm in the state of Florida and you can drive from Key West, which is the southernmost point of the state and also of the United States, I believe. And you can drive up the state of Florida and then head west into the panhandle to a city called Pensacola. And that'll take you a nice 12 hours to, to do that in just one state. Uh, and so the, the space is just enormous. But I'm wondering from the perspective of European and somebody who has driven across the United States, which is something that I've never done, it, is the American sense of space uh, really, is it, is, it, is, it, is it real? Is it really a thing? Or is it just uh, an abstraction or, no, I'd, you know? No, I'd say it's real. Um, you know, the, just that the miles go on and on and on. Um, there's a lot of space between towns. I mean, I'm, obviously I'm speaking relatively to, well, to the UK particularly. Mm. But even France and Spain, which I know fairly well, and they, there's more space there than there is in England between towns, say, but it's still not the same as... The U.S., which which becomes particularly apparent in the West, as as you must know, mm-hmm. um, I think it's after the Mississippi, probably, or, or maybe a little bit further east than that, um, that it that it really stretches out. There's a long way between towns, uh, and there's this huge sky as well. That's another thing. But as soon as you get out of cities, sorry, somebody's sending me emails. I'll, I'll mute that. <laughs> um, I don't think I can without muting myself. Um, yeah, so, yes, the sky is, is a big thing that we don't have here. There's always some, something in the way, buildings or trees, whatever. Um, and, and you have these huge dome-like skies that I, I don't know whether you get used to that, but, but I'm always very struck by it. Also in Canada too. Um, and it's a great feeling being under the sky and being at the center of a hemisphere that you can see all around. Hmm. It's yep. just not, a, not, not something that happens much in Europe. 
particularly in the Western part of the United States, many, many Americans, the West and its culture and its landscapes, as you, as you mentioned, the West embodies, you know, this American spirit in some way, like the, the rugged American, the, the idealized United yeah. States. Um, That's right. And so from being non-American, I wonder if, if that kind of translates somehow, if that, if that is perceptible from a, a European to, to see that in the United States, there's this idealization of that part of the, yeah. the world. Yes, I think, yeah, yeah, we pick that up very much. Although, I mean, when I was a child, I was entranced by um, Westerns and cowboys and Indians, actually. Um, and, and we grew up in the 50s and 60s. Um, you know, a, a lot of our games were to do with cowboys and Indians, which I realized when I got older that that it's a kind of myth, really. Mm-hmm. That, and you've just hinted at that, the, the ruggedness and so on. But it kind of it comes true in a way when you're there, because there is all the space, um, and there are a few real cowboys. Um, well, there's those wonderful ones who, what's that expression? All, all hat and no cattle. <laughs> um, you know the ones who who walk around in the clothes, but, yeah. but actually drive off in a Datsun to a job in an office or something. Um, I've, I've run into that, um, but but no, there's still that romance, and and it's perpetuated by by movies. You know, there were movies when I was a child. It was on there were westerns on television, which now to us would mostly seem quite corny. But now that's been updated, and the myth continues really, or, or perhaps it's less of a myth because some of the newer movies are are more realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of those old uh, Western uh, movies with the cowboys and the Indians, you know, such an integral part of, uh, you know, American culture, uh, probably less so now than it was maybe when you were growing up, but still, I mean, that, that, that image resonates, resonates with us, especially in the Southern, Southern part of, of the United States. Yeah. But it's curious that in a way that European boys, well, English ones anyway, we're getting, we're having the same experience, and and some of the stuff we read were was actually written in England. Um, we had comics that that were created by one of the newspapers in London. And I didn't know this till I was an adult and researched it. I thought this stuff was all coming from where it actually happened, you know, <laughs> but but it not, quite a lot of it didn't. Um, there was a man called J.T. Edson, I don't expect you've heard of him, who wrote cowboy novels that that we read as uh, children, teenagers. And it turned out he actually, he'd never been to America. He lived in Leicester, which is a town, you might know, north of London. And he worked in a fish and chip shop. And somehow he sort of researched and wrote these books, which we found terribly exciting. But it was all completely coming out of his imagination, um, you know, with a little bit of history thrown in. Uh, but it, I don't know what this tells us really. That, that, that there's a myth, but there's, but there's also a, quite a lot of it's real when you get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you took a car from Maryland and yeah. on Highway 50 across to 
um, San Francisco, and you're passing through basically the heart of the the United States. You go over the Continental Divide on the western part of Colorado, over the mountains, and you know into basically the the desert until you reach California. Yeah, that's and right. What? So how how were you? Um, I guess how were you doing this? Were you just I don't know, just driving a Cadillac or something and, and going in the summer. Um, did, we, did you have your smartphone on, on the dash? And how, how, how did uh, the no, mechanics work? No, no I, I was driving a, a car called a Chevy Cruze. I don't know whether you know of them, but um, it's a, actually, that was serendipitous. I, I went to the car rental place at um, it's called Dulles Airport, yeah, Washington. Um, and a man in the queue behind me at the rental place asked me what I was doing. And, and I said, well, I'm going to drive from here to San Francisco. And he says, you want to take a Chevy Cruze? That's better than a Toyota something or other, which was the choice. And so I asked them if, I, if they had a Chevy and they only had one Chevy Cruze. And um, it turned out to be really good. It's just a sort of medium sized car. Um, so, I, yeah, I didn't want to go in anything fancy because that kind of draws it, you know, and people said, why didn't you go on a Harley Davidson? Why didn't you go in a pink Cadillac? <laughs> um, but then you'd I'd sort of arrive somewhere and people would stare at me, you know, and that, that's not the point really. Although there was one other serendipitous thing about the car, which was that it just happened that the one Chevy Cruze that this rental place had, had New York plates. And that did actually, I didn't realize this would happen, but people came up to me the further west I got, the more people came up and said, hey, you're a long way from home. And then I could say, actually, you don't know the half of it and <laughs> tell them I was from London, England. And that would get a conversation going. I mean, quite a few really interesting conversations started with that. So it was very, very fortunate that this car had that plate. Mm. If it had had somewhere in the middle, it probably wouldn't have attracted interest because it's an ordinary-looking car otherwise. Right. Um, and I think the the New York plates, and this is esoteric knowledge, but you know each state uh, determines their laws. And uh, in Florida, for example, we have a license plate on the back of the car only. But New York right. is one of the states where it's required by law to have plates on the front and the back of the car. So if you're coming that. down the road, people can see you <laughs> see you coming and see you going. Yeah. Uh, from yeah. New York, and so it's, it's it's even even a larger marker, or even more conspicuous. Yeah, it actually led to one thing that was sort of a little worrying. Where a, somebody led out of a car. I was in Kansas City. I was at some traffic lights, and and a guy led out of the back of of a SUV and said, um, "Your your brake light isn't working." And I worried about that the rest of that day and then that night. And then I thought, that's strange. This is a newish car, and there's no indication on the dashboard that there's anything wrong. Anyway, I asked somebody to have a look, and it, and it was working fine. And I concluded that this was somebody who just wanted to make a sort of joke and, and maybe didn't like the fact that I'd come all the way from New York. He probably thought I was some slick East Coast person uh, who turned up in Kansas City and and he wanted to kind of cause me some trouble because I almost went to a garage to say could you fix this light you know till I thought it through um anyway that's just a side issue 
Mm-hmm. I want to ask yeah. you about the the people of the United States, but um, before we go there, just to kind of paint this picture fully, did you did you like have a map and you just figured out where you would stay each day? You'd pull into yeah. a motel. Yeah, um, I didn't have um, sat nav um, or, or or didn't use the phone because mm-hmm. um, I don't do that in England. Actually, hardly ever. I think maybe I'm a bit old-fashioned, but I sort of spent years looking at maps when I was trying to move around in England or or, or in France, where I go quite a lot. Um, so, and also it would have meant I had to spend a lot of money getting the phone functioning in the states. So I just thought, well, I'll, I'll use a map like I usually do, and that did mean I got lost quite a lot. But I think that. Um, adds to the whole thing really some mm-hmm. of those getting lost stories uh, other things happen when you get lost and i i also didn't ever book ahead um any motel except right at the end i booked one in san francisco because i thought this is that place is going to be crowded and it'd be good to have somewhere to go and park the car uh, but all the rest of the time i didn't decide where i was going to stay till it got to be the middle of the afternoon say and i'd see where i'd got to and I traveled very slowly, as you can imagine. It took 46 days to get to, to, to do that, which, which I'd planned. It was only about 50 miles a day on average. Uh, so I stayed, sometimes I stayed two days in one place and drove around or walked around um, and just, just to see more and to talk to people. And this is in the summer of 2018? 2018, yeah. Okay, so that would have been around the time of the, I guess, the midterm elections and kind of... They were coming up, mm-hmm. yes, that's right. And so how, 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 how did the American people strike you? I mean, it's hard to generalize, of course, but um, you've, you've mentioned this encounter with the guy having to go with you about your brake lights, uh, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was one of the very few negative things that happened with people. And it's probably the only one, actually. The, I mean, they, they, I mean, they, uh, they're very friendly throughout the whole thing. Um, and I think it helps my accent, or, or, <laughs> or for that matter, the car, the New York thing, would get conversations. People would always say, so where are you from? And that would start a conversation. Uh, they're very friendly, very very interesting, and I and I could. I I went into bars a lot and diners and that kind of thing, and either I would find that there was somebody there who was up for having a conversation, and, would, and often they would begin the conversation, or if there wasn't, um, I would do the other thing, which is to listen to their conversations. <laughs> And which were often quite interesting. Uh, and with my notebook, um, maybe write down some of the stuff they were saying. You, you would come across that a bit in the, in the book. Um. Just a quick note and we'll get right back to the episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcasting app or consider supporting the show with only a few dollars a month at travelwritingworld.com slash support. Thank you. And those candid moments uh, 
in which you're eavesdropping <laughs> uh, perhaps uh, wouldn't have happened if you were having no. a conversation with somebody else or if if you no if you told them hey i'm writing a book yes talk. i never said that I've, well maybe i did once or twice but hardly ever that that wouldn't be my line i just say i'm driving from east to west just because i want to and i'm fascinated by your country and i've never done that before and a lot of them would tell me they'd never done it, just like you've said, actually. Um, and I'd meet a lot of people on the Route 50 cause it, it, who, who lived on it, pretty much, because it's the main street of numerous little towns all the way across, who didn't actually know that it went to San Francisco. You know, they'd have to sort of look it up on their phone and say, oh, is that where it goes? You know, <laughs> um, Even on the east, I remember meeting a man in Annapolis who seemed quite knowledgeable, and he said, Route 50, Route 50, where's that? And he'd, he'd lived in Washington, D.C. before, and it goes right through it. It goes past the White House, you know, um, almost past the uh, Capitol building. But people don't seem to know, I mean, a lot of them, some of them do, uh, but not a lot of them think realize it goes all the way from east to west. Interesting. So the the road trip also, I think, has a place in the American uh, imagination, and it's fascinating that you would have done it not once but but twice. And you you mentioned uh, Kerouac earlier, who is you know kind of the embodiment, this <laughs> quintessential American traveler from from a certain generation, um, who went on various trips of his own, uh, hitchhiking and and. And on trains and, and and whatnot, but I was wondering from from your perspective, um, is 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 there something that draws you towards road trips over other forms of of travel apart from you know getting to know small towns? Is there something very nostalgic yeah. about this this form? I think so. Um, partly it's Kerouac, and I mean I'm a great fan of Kerouac. Um, not just on the road, but just the way he writes and it's so sort of direct. Um, but and and other writers, um, in, in particular, actually, in passing, um, William Lee's Heat Moon, that book called Blue Highways. Mm. I think that's a really great, great American road book. But then it's also the the movies. Um, He's I think we've on this already that the, just all the space and watching someone drive. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. There's that, there's that um, well, there's Easy Rider, although they're on motorbikes. But then there's, um, is it Two-Lane Blacktop? Um, it was a great film. Uh, and seeing seeing enough of those films, which I have, you and, and and right back in the 1940s, they were they had those kind of. There was one with Humphrey Bogart and George Raft, I think, and they were both driving trucks. Um, and, and and I was a kid when I saw that, and I was taken by my my uncle, and it really made an impact on me. I, I think I've been fond of the road more than the railroad, although Kerouac and those kind of people, Woody Guthrie, use the railroad a lot um, for free. Um, that's appealing, but it, I, mean, I, I can't quite see myself jumping into a cattle truck or whatever <laughs> you call it. Um, whereas, and you're freer when you're driving too. It's easier to decide where to stop and, and all that. Um, 
So yeah, it, it it's it, it's it it's the books. There's also songs, of course. Um, I don't know, Emmy Lou Harris, all sorts of people um, sing about about being on the road as well. Um, yeah, but that's the whole. It's it's such a big part of, of American culture as I perceive it, and it's, I think a lot of people in in the UK and Europe perceive it. The road is. A big part of it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of song, in the back of the book you have your your playlist, and I think the Eagles uh, come up more than. <laughs> that's more than- that's who I should have mentioned. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I, I met these guys actually, two bikers, um, quite far west, I think in Kansas, and we got talking about the Eagles and music, and and I started, I did a pathetic rendition of that song that standing on a corner in Wilmslow, Arizona, that line. And these two guys looked at each other and said, yeah, we've been there. And we stood on a corner in Wilmslow, Arizona. And it just seemed to me, I don't know how it sounds to you, that's terribly romantic because that was a line in a song that I've been hearing for 40 years or whatever it is. Um, Although actually it's a rather sad song when you listen to it properly. Uh, but it's still got that romance to to me as an English person. I don't know about whether Americans have the same feeling about those sorts of sentiments. Yeah, my 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 father. When I grew up, my father played. He was an old Deadhead, and uh, still is. And so he listened to a lot of Grateful Dead, uh, who sing yeah. about life on the road and so many of their songs are you know about trucking right? they have a song called trucking it's a great great song if you haven't heard it yeah, but, look that up. I probably have, but yeah yeah and so they're they're kind of this idea of being on the move in the united states you know is is, is very sentimental and nostalgic uh, for me when i hear those songs in particular yeah so that's similar to, to how i feel mm-hmm which I don't about Europe somehow, even though you can, if you wanted to, you can drive a long distance on the continent of Europe, not in this country, but it's just nothing like the same at all. It's too congested and, and there's a lot of up and down. I know you've got mountains, but, um, you know, to, to get from say the North of France to the South of Italy, which I have done actually, um, just for fun, not to write about it, it's just totally different somehow. Um, yeah. And perhaps the borders and the the language yeah. barriers might have prevented. The border, the language, the, the sort of congestion, uh, all that. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could uh, read for us a, uh, a passage from, from the book. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, well, there's a bit... Um, this, this is, uh, I'm, uh, it's about something that happened in a town called Salem, which is a small town in Illinois, southern Illinois, on Route 50. So it, it goes like this. Um, <clears throat> I drive into Salem and pass the Continental Motel. It looks a little wacky and independent. A few yards on, I see a sign on a pole in front of a U.S. flag. American Legion Post 128. Next to it, the notice says, open to the public. 
I check into the Continental Motel and find two china mugs in my room for tea and coffee, not the usual throwaway beakers sealed in plastic. I turn on the TV and think about the American Legion. What would that be like? Would it be full of old soldiers? What would they make of me, if anything? I have to find out. After all, I can always leave. There are other bars in Salem. I open a green door in a low, newish red brick building and walk in. Two men, both of them white, are sitting at the bar with a big space between them. They turn around. Howdy, the man on the left says and smiles. The other man has a good look and turns away. Hi, I say. What can I get you? A slight blonde-haired woman speaks from behind the bar. Oh, a beer, please. Bud? Bud Light? Do you have any IPA? We got pork rocker. Porch rocker. Samuel Adams. Sure, that sounds good. Both the men, I'm now standing in the space between them, have bottles of Bud Light and glasses. The bartender puts a glass and a brown bottle with a green label in front of me. The bottle is cold. I pour slowly to avoid froth and take a sip. It's fine with a lemony taste. That good? The bartender is holding one glass. She reaches up to hang it from the canopy above the bar. Yeah, great, thanks. And it is great, cold and refreshing, as beer should be at the end of a hot day. Where are you from, may I ask? You don't sound... The bartender tilts her head and scrunches her face. She reminds me of Reese Witherspoon. London, England. I'm just travelling through. I explain my east-west journey as best I can. I flew to Washington, D.C. and rented a car. I've never been that far east. Not as far as Washington or New York. I've been to San Antonio to see my son in the Air Force. Shook's too young to have a son in the Air Force. I went to Chicago for three months. Didn't like it. I'm a small-town girl. The man who said howdy turns towards me, a tall man leaning back against a bar stool with his feet on the floor. I wouldn't want to go anywhere else. I do well for around here. I went to South Carolina for a while, wanted to come back. Small town, I like it. He holds out his hand. I'm George. David, I say, and take his hand. He looks me in the eye. I guess he is in his 30s. He has a fit, outdoor look about him, a moustache and stubble, big hands and deep tanned forearms. I'm Ara, the bartender says. Ara, I repeat her name as we shake hands. She says that she's named after her great-grandmother, who is German, and that her mother's side of the family is Irish. She wants to know more about London and me. What do I do there? I tell her that I edit books. Well, I'm a bartender. George digs holes, big holes. Yeah, George smiles. For a second, I imagine him bent over me. With a backhoe, he says. And I inspect water towers as well for Marion County. I got two jobs. Does that mean you have to climb up the towers? It's wonderful up there. Views all across Illinois and further. So flat here, you can see forever. So you climb like up a ladder? Yep. God, I couldn't do that. 
He smiles, afraid of heights, noodle legs, I call that. How high are they? 90 to 180 feet. My God, is there someone with you? Not always, but usually he stays on the ground. He sits back on his stool and puts his heels on the rung above the floor. I just love working outdoors, you know. I was a high school dropout. Now I earn more than my friends who went to grad school and they have thousands of dollars of debt. I worked in a factory before. He grimaces. God, I hated that. It was so repetitive. I worked there too, Ara says. The car headlight factory. It was a horrible place to work. No windows, artificially lit, no air con, very hot. Then I worked in the taillight factory. She looks at George. You didn't do that one. That was bad. She looks back at me. They do headlights in Salem and taillights in Flora, a few miles down the road. A little later, Ara brings more beer, and this time I have a Bud Light. I don't like it, but I fancy a change. I ask them both the question that's been in my mind all evening. How do you feel about Donald Trump? I love Trump, Ara almost shouts. George says, he just says what's in his mind. He's not a politician. He doesn't bullshit. There's a civil war in the United States, Ara says, and a steeliness comes into her face. It's already started between those who believe people should be given what they require and those who believe they should work for it. What about the stuff he's said about women? Is that okay, I ask? It's just locker room, George says, garage talk. Ara shrugs. The Democrats and the Republicans don't like Trump because he's not one of them. He doesn't bullshit. She gives me a stare and shrugs again. We get many people who come into this bar who are against him. We have arguments. George says, what I like about him is that he does what he said he'd do. What about the wall in Mexico? With Mexico, I say. Well, at least he's trying, George says. Aris says, he's not a politician. They talk, say they'll do something, and then never do it. Has he made you better off, I ask? Yes, a bit, Aaron nods. Her elbows are on the bar, her face cupped in her hands. He says things I wish he wouldn't. People in this bar say things I wish they wouldn't. Yeah, George laughs and names someone. Right, but what can you do? You live with it. Aaron's phone goes ting. She looks down at it. It's him, Donald. George grins. Her phone bings when Trump tweets. No, I say. Really, it's true. Ara looks up and shrugs. He's just letting me know what he thinks about South Africa. George stands up. Real good to meet you. He leaves with a firm handshake and a hope we meet again. Soon I leave too. Ara comes to the door and out into the car park. She takes a deep breath and gazes up at the stars. I had 11 miscarriages and an ectopic, but at least I got one, my boy. She looks at me and back up at the sky. Maybe I'll be famous after I die, like Emily Dickinson and Edgar Allan Poe. She smiles and hugs me. Have a wonderful trip and keep safe. I leave her, standing in the dark, gazing upwards. Well, Did you hear all that? Yeah, timely timely story there with uh, what's happening in the elections in the United States here. Yes, it's interesting to know what those people think now, if they think anything different. I, I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. They might do. I was going to ask you, uh, 
as you're reading this, it reminded me that you're writing in the first person and most of the travel books that I've read recently um, have been written in the past tense. And I was wondering if you could speak to that decision to write in the present. In the present. Yeah. Um, looking back, I think I wrote the first chapter, which would be a couple of thousand words um, in the past. And then I read it through and I thought, actually, this is, I'm writing about what's happening right there and then. And I've written things in the present before. Um, so I, re, I redid it. Um, and, I, and I was always ready to switch if necessary. I've, I've done that before. As long as you don't do it too often, I think you can have a piece of writing that moves from present into past and back again. Although it's, that's got to be well spaced out. Um, but I just kept going as I wrote the thing in the present. And I think it works because of the onward momentum. Um, the thing keeps moving all the time. Uh, I hope it works. What gives an immediacy to the to, to the to the narrative that a, a, a past tense that the past tense doesn't do right? Yeah, we're with that's you right. at that moment. Yeah, it it sometimes leads you into complications where you. I found where you, you you end up saying a bit too much um, and you have to cut back. I can remember that because if it was in the past, you can, you can, in the past you can shop around more easily, I think, actually. Um, it's an interesting conundrum, that. And I think it goes with, the, with writing in the first person um, more easily than in the third person if you're, if you're writing fiction or something. Um, I don't see too many travel books <laughs> in the third person. No, no, not travel books. No, no. <laughs> no. Well, uh, I just wanted to wrap things up and uh, thank you uh, and say thank you for, for your time coming on the podcast to talk about your new book. And if you could let us know where we can find you online. Sure. Okay. Well, th well thanks a lot, Jeremy. I've, I've really enjoyed that, talking to you. Thank you. It's www.slowroad, one word, uh, .co.uk. That's some photographs from this journey, which the book the book doesn't. Um, I think if people want photographs, it's nice if they can find them somewhere else. Um, and that a, a book ideally should stand up without pictures. Um, uh, but there's some other stuff there if people are interested. Um, by my other books and so very good we'll put the links in the show notes thank you again thank you again for coming on the show yeah thank you very much enjoyed it you can find the episode show notes and much more at travelwritingworld.com please remember to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and if you find the show valuable please consider leaving a review or supporting the show with only a few dollars a month at travelwritingworld.com support.